Turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. Title of tonight's message is called, I Know My Name. Everybody say that with me. Say, I Know My Name. Isn't it amazing, these graphics that Jonathan Mazapika comes up with? This is incredible. What would you have made? You know what I mean? If you were like, hey, the title of the message is called, I Know My Name. What would you have made? It's amazing. Anyways, I Know My Name. Turn to me. Mark chapter 5, verse 1. Uh, through nine. I'm going to read some, some scripture as enthusiastically as impossible, and then we are going to uh, talk for a little bit. I'm excited. Mark 5, 1 through 9. So they arrived at the other side of the lake in the region of the Gerasenes, and when Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from a cemetery to meet him. This man lived among the burial caves and could no longer be restrained. Everybody say, restrained. Good, you sound good. Even with a chain. So he literally was off the chain, y'all. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrists and he smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night, he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. This guy was in a desperate situation. And when Jesus saw... Jesus, I'm sorry, when Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him and he ran to meet him and he bowed low before him. And with a shriek, he screamed, why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the spirit, come out of the man, you evil spirit. And then Jesus demanded, what is your name? Everybody say, what is your name? But say it one more time, though. What is your name? Thank you. Very good. But what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion because there are many of us inside this man. This is a pretty intense story and pretty intense passage of scripture. In fact, um, it's one of the first times that Jesus had taken his disciples to Gerasenes, which was not Jewish territory. Um, it was kind of outside of their normal comfort zone. They had entered into Gentile territory. Uh, Gerasenes, they call it. It's also near a town called Decapolis, which is called the Ten Cities. And so anyways, they came to this place and as they approach um, the beach, there's this crazy man that approaches them, the Bible says that he is not even given a name. We just know him as the man with an evil spirit. Have you ever felt crazy before? Yeah? Let me tell you about it. Maybe you feel, maybe you have kids, you have small children, maybe you are, uh, uh, maybe you are um, um, married or recently married or you've been married a long time or, or maybe your boss kind of drives you crazy or maybe there's just people in your life. I call them sandpaper people, y'all. It's kind of like, you know, God's trying to smooth out the edges in you so he, rub, he brings sandpaper people in your life, right? Kind of just like rub you the wrong way, like, ooh, I know. Yeah, anyway, so... <laughs> Some people can kind of drive you crazy, right? But let me tell you a story of a time that I, I felt crazy, okay? Um, I used to work out. Um, I, I, I <laughs> that's, just, that's funny. Oh, all right. That's funny. It's cool. Cool. All right. It's funny. Anyways, I still work out anyways. So, but this was back to the time when I was old enough uh, to, to just barely old enough to get um, my first membership at a gym, 24 hour fitness. Um, so I know I look like I'm 12. Actually, I was not 12 at the time. I was about 18. And, um, and so I remember heading up to the gym, right? I was there to get big, er, right? <laughs> and so I got to the gym and uh, I was kind of feeling low. And normally I drink coffee, caffeine, and you know, something like that to kind of get myself pumped up. And so as I got to the gym, I looked into uh, the counter there. There was no one to help me. And uh, there was this drink there. It was called Redline. Anybody ever heard of Redline? 
If you're not sure what red line is, this is a picture of what red line is. Now listen, listen, look at the bottle, okay? Just look at the bottle, y'all. Look carefully, okay? Do you see anywhere on the bottle where it says, don't drink it all at once? Do you see it though? Do you see it? Do you see on the bottle anywhere that it says that? No, let me ask you another question. What drink out there that you know of that you drink regularly that you can't drink all of the bottle? Think about it. Well, if in tiny little letters in the back of the bottle, it says this bottle contains two servings and should not be consumed all at once. And then it's got these little like cross things on areas of ingredients that are, no one's ever heard of. You know what that, what does that cross mean right there? Look at sugar, look at sugar. And then there's like a cross by it. You know what that means? It means God help us if you drink all of this bottle right here, right now. Okay, that's what that means. That's what that means. Anytime you see a cross, it means God be with you, sir, as you consume the entire contents of this bottle because you don't know what's going to happen to you. But you better hang on. So I drank the whole thing, all right? I think you figured that out, all right? I drank the whole bottle. And I have this like 30-minute arm routine workout that I do. I think I did something else. Maybe I play handball or something like that. But, and so I ate the ball anyways, but it just didn't work. But so this drink gave me so much energy. It was like fantastic at first, and then it just got out of hand. Okay? It just got wild. Hang on a second. Let me tell you. Okay. My normal workout routine at the time took me about 30 minutes, okay? Because you really don't need to spend more time in the gym than that. If you spend more time in the gym than that, you're, you're just like, hey, you know what I'm saying? So, anyway, so 30 minutes in the gym is all you need, people. Just believe me. So listen, I get to the gym. My 30-minute routine took me three minutes, Okay, I remember I sat down at uh, I, I sat down at a machine that works on your biceps. Okay, like this, I sat down and I put the normal weight amount right there, and I usually do like three sets of ten or whatever, something like that. I literally was in the gym like this. <laughs> like, that's it. That's it. That's all we got. That's all we got. And I was literally running around the gym, just like grabbing machines and like pulling them down. And I was like, just like every now and then break to do a push up. I was like, I was doing cartwheels. I ate the racquetball. I was like, I was out of control, y'all. I was out of control. Literally, my friends that are normally at the gym around that time, you know, they're working out, like taking their time. They're like, he had a red line. Yeah, yeah. he definitely had a red line. Like, he drank the whole thing. He's an idiot. Anyway, so I'm sitting there. I'm like going wild, okay? I get to the point where I'm working out. I'm done. I'm like, I'm not even tired, guys. But my heart is literally like about to explode out of my blue pocket. And so it's like boom, 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 boom. I'm, I'm freaking out right now, okay? My mind is like racing. And I'm just like, I got to go home. I got to go home. So I get in my car. And as I'm driving in my 94 Ford Taurus, I'm driving down the street and literally my mind is like racing and cars are honking at me and I don't know where I am. I don't know what's going on. The next thing I remember, my wife is like rubbing a cold towel on my head, 
right? She's holding a towel on my head. And she's like, baby, I need to take you to the emergency room. I need to take you to the emergency room. I'm like, what am I going to tell him? I'm on red line? Like, come on now. Like, seriously, what are you, seriously, like, I'm on red line, help. Like, what are you going to do, right? Like, the crosses, I didn't read it. You're not supposed to drink the whole thing, right? What am I supposed to say? Listen, I felt absolutely crazy. In fact, it took probably, I'm not joking, it took a good 14 hours or so for me to start feeling normal again. And it was just an awful, awful experience. Never drink red line is the moral of this story. Good night, everybody. Have a good night. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Actually, speaking of red line, I brought some red line tonight, actually. And let me tell you something. On this bottle, it says, never drink all of the bottle at one time right here, because it has a gauge. Like right here, like, I don't know if you can see this, but like right here, Right here, you're okay. Right here, death, okay? <laughs> Don't do it, all right? So anyways, I got some red line here, and I thought it might be more entertaining for you if I was to consume the entire bottle and then preach this message. What do you guys think? <laughs> See, that's the difference between youth ministry and regular, like, big church, right? A lady in the back, like, almost had a heart attack right now. She was like, Don't do it, honey. <laughs> and all the kids were like, yeah, do it! Come on, who wants one? I'm just... Who wants one? See, like I told you, teenagers, no adults raise their hands. Teenagers only raise their hands. Okay, I'm just going to take a swig real quick. Okay, is that okay? Anybody encourage this right now? Should we do this? Should we really do this? Should we really do this? Everyone's like, seriously, like, don't do it. Seriously, don't do it. People are like, be responsible, young man. All right? You got a lot of things working against you right now. One of them is that shirt. Okay? All right? Be responsible. Okay, this is water. I filled them up with water. I'm, I'm not, I filled, I poured them out. It's been opened. Ah, uh, ha, ha, ha. It's a joke. Anyways. That's the end of my story, by the way. So, really, though, does anybody want water? It's tap water. Anybody want it? Yeah, see, still, teenagers, see? You're like, I'll drink it. It came from the hose. You still want it? You still drink it, see? Anyways, it's junk. But listen, so you see... That was a time where I felt crazy. Oftentimes, people like us, we can, we can identify with the fact that maybe we feel crazy, but this guy, this guy's name was crazy. You see, this guy, this guy was in a circumstance, a season of his life where he was actually identified, identified by the circumstance and the season of life that he was in. So much so that the Bible doesn't even give him a name. Instead, he's just identified with the man that's possessed. The crazy man, basically, is his name. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? You see, so many times we can identify ourselves, our name, as you could say it. It can be identified with the season of life or the circumstances that we're in at the time. Does that make sense? So, you see, that may be a positive, that may be a negative time. For instance, to give you an example, whenever I was uh, single, it was a horrible time in my life, but I was known as a single man. And so the season of my life that I was in where I happened to be single was known as a single, right? But then as I got married, I became a young married. And then now we have a four-year-old, now we're a young married with kids or whatever you want to call it. And so these different seasons of our life begin to identify us and how we commonly identify ourselves. Does that make sense? Perfect. Let me tell you a story. When I was about, uh, I don't have to tell you how old I was. When we, a friend of mine and I were in high school, and we had this common thing. This is totally, this is a different day and age, okay? It was a long time ago. Um, but we used to drive around town, and we would look for people to pick up and take them home. Um, <laughs> parents are like, man, are you kidding me? Seriously. 
So, no, listen, we would look for, like, say, for instance, a lady walking with grocery bags or something like that, right? And so we would go and we would say, ma'am, could we give you a ride? And, and if she was out of her mind, she would get in the car with two teenage boys. But we just thought it was interesting, the two of us, to um, talk to people. We were unsaved. We just, we just thought it was a nice thing to do. We were just trying to kill time. And so um, what else do you do when you're 16 and you have a car, right? You, like, look for excuses to drive, right? So this one occasion, we picked up a man at a bus stop. And so as we picked up this man at the bus stop, I'll never forget his story. Two reasons. One, we were in my dad's car, and he had the largest, goofiest, big gulp drink filled with something red in it and spilled it all over my dad's back seat, okay, for one reason. The second reason I remember him was, was because he had said, I was a hardworking man. I own a house. I have a good job. And so as we kind of tried to just talk with him and kind of get a story out of him and just kind of conversate a little bit as we drove him down the road. And he said, you know, my wife, my wife, we were doing really well and she's a nurse and she's, she was doing really good, but then she hurt her back at work and, and now she became disabled. And as she became disabled, I, we, we lost her income. And, and I happened to just so happen to, because I was spending so much time with her, I happened to get laid off. And as I got laid off, I, I, I got behind on some bills and, and we actually had to, we foreclosed on our house. And, and, and I, I just, just one thing after another and one thing after another. And, and now, you know, I, I lost my, my truck and, and, and I, I ride the bus now to get home from work. And I remember I was thinking, I was like, it is kind of late. It's like eight o'clock. Well, it turns out he rides like four buses to get home from downtown. And, and this was just his daily routine. And so, so the season of life that he's found himself in says that one, he's poor. And two, now his wife is disabled. I don't remember his name, but I remember him as the poor man with the disabled wife. You see, so many times, so many times the circumstances or the seasons of life that we're in, we can allow them to identify us. We can allow them to give us a different name. Does that make sense? Let me give you a story from the Bible. In 1 Samuel, in 1 Samuel, I mark this page in here. In 1 Samuel 17, verse 8, I think we have the, 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 the scripture let me just kind of give you a little preface first of, of what this is about. There's a young man named David who was a shepherd. And as he was coming up through the ranks after being anointed next to Israel's king, he, he went to go bring some gifts to his brothers who happened to be fighting the Philistines. And, and there's this classic story. A lot of people have heard it and use it in other contexts. But the stories of David and Goliath. Goliath, the nine-foot Philistine champion. And, and he approaches the nation of Israel and their army. And so he's basically just this trash-talking guy saying... This is what I'm going to do to you unless you send somebody out to come fight me. And so David, David, who's fought in plenty of Goliaths in his life, he comes out just as a boy. He seems like the unlikely one to do it. And so this is what he overhears Goliath say repeatedly, mocking God, mocking the people of Israel. He says this phrase right here. This is their enemy, y'all. He says, I am the Philistine champion and you you are only the servants of Saul. You see, what the enemy will try to do is the enemy will try to speak over you during the season of life that you're in that the victory is not his, is not yours, that the victory is actually his. He will say, he is the champion. He has already defeated you in this season. He is the one that has triumphed over you. And now you, well, you, you're just a servant. A servant to what? You see, that's not all the enemy does. The enemy doesn't just try to tell you you're already defeated and that he's won, but he also does what he always does, and that is he tries to give you a different name. And that was where he said, you 
Oh, you, you're just the servants of Saul. But you see, I'm here to tell you tonight that that's not the truth at all. The truth of the matter is that we are sons and daughters. We have been declared righteous. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. We're the head and not the tail. We're above and not beneath. We are blessed when we go and blessed when we come. We are made in God's image. We're perfect. We're made in his image, given authority, given divine supernatural authority and through the kingdom of Christ, through the kingdom of God with access, with access through Jesus Christ through Jesus Christ to immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine according to the Bible. And instead, the enemy does what he always does. One is, he tells you there's no point in fighting because I've already won. And two, well, he tried to name you something different. Just like this man, this man here in the season of life that he's in, so defeated He's been given a whole different name. And to this day, we don't know his name. We just know him by the season of life that he was in. Does that make sense? But see, my question tonight that I pose, the, 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 the thing that I want to present to you tonight is, what is your name? What is your name? Jesus steps on the beach of Gerasenes and this man approaches him and he's there like, oh, Jesus, this guy is crazy right here. Yeah, he's the crazy one. And so he, he says, disregard that, please. And he says, sir, what is your name? I feel that question burning in my heart for students. I feel that question burning in my heart for young adults and young marrieds and married people in the woodlands and this community and this city and this state, this generation. I feel that question burning inside all of us. And that is, what is our name? I want to give you two points tonight. Two points tonight. So that how we can discover what is our name and what does God say about our name? Okay? Two questions that we'll ask ourselves. So a question leading into a question that will hopefully answer something for us. And so the first point is, the first point is this. The first point is, where do you live? The first point is, where do you live? You see, Gerasenes, the first time Jesus took his disciples, and what are disciples? Disciples are just people that look like Jesus. They were followers of Jesus. The first time he had taken them outside of their comfort zone and into Gerasenes, into Gentile territory, he had taken them somewhere they were unfamiliar with. And so they encounter this man that they say, at the time, he was living among the burial caves. He was, just came straight from a cemetery. You see, this man was identifying himself in the season of life that he was in with a hopelessness and a darkness and defeat and very depressed. It says that he lived among the burial caves. He lived among the cemetery. Where do you take that as? This man lived in defeat. This man lived in hopelessness. He knew what other people called him. He knew what his name was. His name was that he was rejected that he had no place and that he, he was just crazy. You see, that's not what spiritual maturity is. 
Spiritual maturity is not tossed in, to and fro by every wave of circumstance and season that comes our way, whether it's in our control or out of our control. That's not what maturity is. You see, let me tell you something about teenagers. I'm a youth pastor. I work with them all the time. You see a teenager, right? And you meet him and he's like, hey, how's it going? Hey, I'm Roger, Roger the teenager. Excellent, Roger the teenager. What do you like to do? I play uh, Xbox in my underpants in my mom's house. Of course you do. And I just got a girlfriend. Awesome. Next time you see him, I'm happy. I have a girlfriend. Excellent. And then the next time you see him, he's like this. Straight from the burial case. Straight from the cemetery. Hey, Roger, the teenager, how you doing, man? Not so good, man. Not so good. As if I don't know the answer. How's your girlfriend doing? (laughs) We laugh, right? We laugh because teenagers and people that are, you know, less emotionally mature than we are, that, that, that they're easily tossed to and fro. But you see, some of us, we never mature past that. I'm being sensitive right now to this because I, I struggle with this as well. It's really hard to not be identified by the circumstances and situations that we have going on in our lives, whether or not it's going good at work, whether it's going bad at work, whether there was lots of traffic this morning, whether there was all of my favorite music playing on the radio. It's just like this and like this and like this. And so the circumstances and the situations we find ourselves in oftentimes are the way that we identify where we live. Does that make sense? Sure it does. And so this man identifies himself with the hopelessness and the defeat that he's surrounded by, a dark place where he lives. But something's interesting about this story. It says that when Jesus stepped off of the boat, so Jesus is like, ah, I'm tired. just got off the boat. As he steps off the boat, the man, it says, ran to Jesus. And see, something that's interesting about running back then is in ancient Hebrew days, people did not run, especially not men, because they did not from the woodlands. They don't wake up at 6 in the morning. They don't run when it's 150 degrees outside, 122% humidity. They don't do that, Okay. Because it was a sign of weakness. It was a sign the man was in a hurry. It was a sign that he was undignified if he ran, okay? And so he ran to Jesus. And so some of us, what we do in our depressed state or our hopelessness or the places where we currently live, that we know this is not our name. We know this is not the place God designed for us. We know this is not the place that the season of our life God has made for us. What we need to do is just run to Jesus. If we would just get up and undignify ourselves and run to Jesus, run to Jesus, do you know what happens when you run to Jesus? Amazing things happen to run to Jesus. Amazing thing happens when you run to Jesus. Let me tell you what happens. It says that when this man ran to Jesus, it says that the, the, the insides of him, the crazy inside of him, it started to speak out. It started to say, what are you torturing me for, Jesus? But you see, Jesus is just standing there like this. He didn't even say anything. But you understand that when you run to Jesus, if you would just fix your eyes on Jesus and fix your eyes on Jesus, no matter what the season, no matter what the circumstance, no matter what the impossibility, if we would fix our eyes on Jesus, that the presence of Jesus makes war against that season in our life. It makes war against that season of our life. And Jesus doesn't even have to say anything. You don't even have to say anything. All you have to do is just get in his presence. That's it. 
just get in his presence. If we would just get in his presence. If we would just learn to run to Jesus no matter what the circumstance. We would just learn to run to Jesus no matter what the season. Because you know what true spiritual maturity is? True spiritual maturity is being like this. No matter what the circumstance. The Bible says, do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength in Nehemiah 8.10. And you know what John 10.10 says? It says that the enemy, who's a real enemy by the way, says that he comes to kill, steal, and destroy what? Your joy, your strength, your life, your purpose. And he's come and designed very, very strategically in order in a way to steal your name too. Where do we live? Where do we live? Where do we live? Where do we live is not dictated by the seasons or circumstances that are upon us. No, instead, when we run to Jesus, we stand in his presence. The circumstances of our lives, God keeps us like this. Does that make sense? Good. The second thing is, we have to ask ourselves is, what language do we speak? In order to know your name, one is, one, is that you, one is that you have to know where you live. And two, you need to know what language that you speak. I'm going to read to you a, a, a large portion of scripture here. It's in Genesis chapter 3. It says, this is the creation account. This is when God created the earth. It's so rich. If you just read the first like three chapters of Genesis, it's incredible. Answer a lot of questions about a lot of things. Um, Genesis chapter three. If you cannot find the book of Genesis, I'm gonna need you to come to the altar right now. Okay, we're gonna pray for you. I'm just kidding. Genesis chapter three, verse one. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say, you must not eat from the tree from any tree in the garden. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Isn't it interesting how the enemy always mixes a little bit of lie with a whole lot of truth? Isn't that interesting that he can do that? Isn't that even crazy? Because what he just said was a lie and true, right? Don't allow the enemy to, de to, to defeat what you know. It says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. The Bible says that all sin derives from the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And so she saw it was good, knew it was knowledgeable for gaining wisdom, and... Uh, it was pleasing to her eye. Interesting, isn't it? She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized that they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together, and they made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? As if he didn't know, right? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And God said it like this. He said, who told you you were naked. And what God essentially said to them was, what 
language have you been listening to? Because words like naked and hid and you were afraid. And then he even goes on to say that we were ashamed. We were ashamed. And then he goes on to accuse his wife. He says, oh, yeah, the woman that you gave me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was her fault. She's the one that gave me the fruit. That's accusation. That's Satan's name in its, in, in, in its, in its core. Satan actually means one who accuses. So now a spirit of accusation has entered into the world. He's like, that ain't my language. I don't speak that way. Let me show you something. I've preached this, this, this is very dear to me. This is very revelatory to me, this language thing. The language of the Father is a very, very dear thing to me, okay? I've preached it like this before, but I've never preached it like this, okay? So watch, let me show you something. In Genesis chapter two, it says that in the Garden of Eden, so they call it Mesopotamia, it's the beginning of where earth, what happened, the creation. It says that God had placed a river there and the river divided into four places. Everybody say four places. The four places or the four, it called them the branches of the river, surrounded the Garden of Eden, okay? It was surrounded, the Garden of Eden was. Okay, you're going to want to take notes on this right here because this is worth taking notes on. Now listen to this. Here are the names of the four rivers that surrounded the Garden of Eden where God had placed man strategically there and said that he gave him fruit and every seed-bearing plant was right there. Every wild animal, it was all there, it was all his, surrounded by these four rivers. Look at the names. It says the four rivers were the Pishon. Okay, the Pishon. Good luck spelling it. The Gihon, okay, G-I-H-O-N. The Tigris and the Euphrates, which people are usually familiar with seeing the Tigris and Euphrates. You probably remember that from like world history in ninth grade or something. So the Pishon, the Gihon, the Tigris, and the Euphrates. Everyone's like, wow, that was revelatory, all right. No, listen, this is what they mean, okay? This is what they mean. The Pishon means, the word Pishon means increase, the, guy, the Gihon, the Gihon, means bursting forth. The Tigris means rapidly. And the Euphrates means fruitfulness. Okay? So basically, in the Garden of Eden, the perfect place God had created, God has placed them, surrounded them in a place that was bursting forth rapidly with increase and fruitfulness. Let me say that one more time. God surrounded them in a place that was bursting forth rapidly with increase and fruitfulness. You see, when God has placed you in a place and he says, this is my language. This is the place where your name is. This is the place where your name is found. This is the place that I've surrounded you. I've surrounded you with words like something that you're going to be increased and that you're going to be fruitful. And this is the place that I've surrounded you and where I want you to live. And so the words that you're saying now, they don't identify with that. It doesn't match up anymore. It doesn't match up. You see, when you move somewhere different, you usually start speaking a different language right? Even within the United States, we all speak English, but some of us speak a different dialect, right? Where do you live? Where do you live? Where's the place that you live and what language do you speak? 
This is the place that God has surrounded us with. He surrounded us with good things. He surrounded us with fruitfulness. He surrounded us with increase. He surrounded us with things like this. And instead, we choose something else. You know something interesting, too, about Genesis chapter 2? It says that in the Garden of Eden, that when before God had made the woman, it was man's job to have dominion over the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, and every wild beast, and everything that scurried around the ground. I love that word, scurry, because even God knows that thing just scurries right there. Right? Like, what do squirrels do, really? They just entertain God. That's what they do. In the place that God had placed Adam, in, in, the, in the place that God had designed for Adam, it says that he had given them dominion. And you know one of Adam's jobs there? One of his jobs was is that as God made things and as things walked by and scurried around the ground and birds flew, it was his job to name them. It was his job to say, you know, this is a hippopotamus and this is a rhinoceros. And what about that one? That's a, that's a duck-billed platypus. Right? That was his job. And I won't go there. I don't need to. It was his job to name things. It was his job to have dominion over those things. In in my translation, a New New Living Translation, it says to reign over those things. You see, God has placed us and given us authority, dominion, reign over the seasons and the circumstances of our life. And instead, what we've done is we've traded that authority for the names and the places that the devil would try to send us to and that the enemy would try to name us with. We are no longer living in burial caves. We're no longer living in those types of circumstances. We're no longer identified by those names as the crazy person. The man with the wife that's disabled. The poor guy that rides four buses on the way home from work. That's not his name. That's just what people knew him as. And only because of the circumstance and the season of life he was in. And only because that was what he allowed people to call him. You see... The Bible says, it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that God has placed all authority, all authority under Jesus. It's all his. And through faith in Jesus Christ, we have access to that authority. Now, I'm not saying you just claim a million dollars, a million dollars, burst. that's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that we do have dominion over the things that God has given us on this earth. And if we would learn to speak his language, if we would learn of the place that God has designed for us, that will, that perfect and pleasing will, and we would just get there and stay there, stop listening to the language that's out there, and instead start listening to heaven cheer us on, we would be able to walk And access that dominion and that authority. It's yours, church. It's mine. I'll give you an example. Someone tells me, man, I'm feeling sick. I just say, man, I I I don't believe that. Please don't say that around me. What do you mean? Well, I believe that the tongue holds the power of life and death. And if you speak, I'm sick. Well, you're going to be sick. You know how long it's been since I've been sick? 
It's been over two years. And I believe in Tylenol, y'all. I got, a he- I got a headache right now. I'll take some as soon as I get off stage. I'm not saying medicine don't work. What I'm saying is, I'm saying is, what language do you speak? Because when we live somewhere, especially the place that God has designed for us, and you look at the wonderful names that he's given it, you look at the wonderful place that it is, you'll see you just may be called to a place that's bursting forth with increase and fruitfulness. And instead, we identify ourselves with living in a place that's similar to something else. Anything less than what God has designed for our life is a fail. Does anybody remember the movie Rudy? Remember that? It's an old movie, right? You remember Rudy? Like, like one teenager's like, I know a guy named Rudy. <laughs> Rudy is a story about an unlikely boy who grew up with dreams of one day being able to play for Notre Dame's number one ranked college football team. But you see, there's a couple problems. One is he had no money. He didn't come from money, so it was very unlikely. Two, he didn't really have the grades, but you know, grades, if you apply yourselves, you can really work towards them and you can really accomplish a lot of good things. Right, parents? (laughs) But the biggest downfall he had was Guys, he was really little. He had very minimal athletic ability. <laughs> and so all his life, he's been told these things by people that, he, that cared about him and by people that he looked up to and people that he really, really depended on and put probably a lot of weight and value on their opinion of his life, which is, can also be a problem. But it's another sermon. And so... I want you to watch this, this clip right here and, and, and get a little glimpse and a taste of what Rudy was about. Go ahead, guys. Chasing a stupid dream causes nothing but you and everyone around you heartache. Notre Dame is for rich kids, smart kids, great athletes. It's not for us. I want to go to school at Notre Dame. <laughs> well, have you applied? No, my grades have never been very good, even though I tried. But I'll try harder. I'll study 20 hours a day if I have to. This university, it's not for everybody. Ever since I was a kid, I wanted to go to school here. And ever since I was a kid, everyone said it, it couldn't be done. My whole life, people have been telling me what I could do and couldn't do. I've always listened to them, believed in what they said. I don't want to do that anymore. Let me tell it to you as clean as I can. We have 95 players here, so accomplished as athletes in high school. We gave them full scholarships to the best football program in the country. NCAA regulations allow us to dress just 60 for home games, which means at least 35 scholarship players are going to be watching the games from the stands. So if any of you has any fantasies about running out of that stadium tunnel with your gold helmet shining in the sun, 
you best leave them right here. Of you 15 dreamers out there, maybe we'll keep one or two. This is the most beautiful sight these eyes have ever seen. Ready, champ? I've been ready for this my whole life. Can you take us out on feet? able he was too short he wasn't fast enough he was the least likely he wasn't financially able to do it that guy telling him that it was for rich kids that was his dad one of the priests at Notre Dame told him this is a dumb fantasy football last 15 seconds of the game when Notre Dame could do no wrong on his senior year the coach because of the love of the players and the love of his teammates that loved his heart that loved Rudy's ability to cancel out all of the things that his naysayers would say about him and to work his little heart out for that 15 seconds of fame, literally. But the most touching part about that story to me is, is the fans. They're all saying, Rudy, 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 Rudy. You see, the world around us tells us that we're not good enough. It's speaking another language over us. It's telling us that we have another name. It's trying to trade the dominion and the authority God's given us for other things. But all of heaven around us is saying, Rudy, 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 Rudy. I want you to leave encouraged tonight. I want you to leave feeling like your gold helmet's running out there on the field, that you're making that last big play and you're getting carried off the field. 
If we would just leave all the other languages and all the other words and all the other places out of our mind and hear the sound of God saying, start living in another place, you start learning a new language.